2: Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne. And I'm Liam Billingham. And I, I love trains. And today's, that's good because today's film is Narrow Margin, a.k.a. Die Hard on a Train.
3: Yay! Phil, where are you on with trains these days? Um... Do you take them? I mean, you live you know, in LA, so all the time. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, you know, when I, I used to live in London and, and you know, I was never, you're never off the track. You're perennially. Right. I imagine you under didn't the own a city. car. The, no, no, you didn't need to. I mean, you're just, it's just, you know, the whole city is just in constant uh, gridlock. So, no, I, I used to spend a lot of time um, trapped under the city in a sweaty tube filled with uh, upset people with uh, wet umbrellas. It was awesome. <laughs> It's great, great upset times.
3: people with wet umbrellas so, is a good description for London British man. people <laughs> in
2: general. <laughs> that was my life for about ten years. Now I'm here in a nice air-conditioned car. You've a nice car um, too. I don't look back really. So um, now, me, I'm different. I'm a
3: New Yorker. I mean, Bostonian by birth, New Yorker by by adoption. And uh, I like. I'm a man of the people. I like the train. I like to be sweaty. I like to be losing my mind when I'm 45 minutes late to work (laughs) and it's 98 degrees on May 21st and I'm sweating onto my free Metro newspaper. It's a very visceral memory. But I do enjoy a long distance train ride, you know, where you got a cabin or you got, I've never been in a sleeper car, but you got a sleeper car, you get to go to the... All
2: all I can think of when I think of this is, I don't know if you know the British uh, comedian Ben Elton, but he did this amazing routine in the 80s that was all about double seat, double seat gotta get a double seat the (laughs) mantra that goes on before they open the gates for the train to open double seat double seat gotta get a double seat can
3: i tell you this okay so when i used to take the the amtrak from new york to boston or vice versa by myself for holidays or whatever i usually took the bus but there was a period of time when i you know i wanted the comfort of the train i used to so bad i did this on the bus too i would sit there Looking with a frustrated look on my face while people are getting on, as if to imply, like, oh, "Where's the person I'm going with?" So people wouldn't think to sit right. with me, because you want you want the space, you want to exactly. spread out. Exactly, we want to man spread. You want to, exactly, that's exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's somewhat accurate. But my favorite, I love a long distance train also because you have the cafe car, mm-hmm. and the cafe car with its multitude of snacks, bad sandwiches, and hopefully delicious Seven and Sevens. Plays a big part in the film that we're talking about today, which is Narrow Margin. We already said that. I remember. Did everybody that. get that? Did everybody get it? Was that good? It's like
2: yellow, it's serious isn't it? Um
3: look, there's a there's a chance you haven't seen this movie. It's something of an overlooked gem. Yeah. Right? Like it's not- That's, that's I think, what I think. I mean, yeah.
2: I was curious to know whether this was something that was culturally particularly well known in the US, or has it sort of fallen through you know as it slipped through the the cracks of time in the uk i remember this film being quite popular it was on i think it was on itv which is one of the main channels Mm -hmm. like regularly and um i remember watching it as a as a kid and and loving it and it being like as you know one of those movies you talk around talk about in the playground you know um as something that was like a really surprising fun interesting movie of course you can and you can never go wrong with gene hackman
3: the best um I remember the VHS case for this movie at the video store. I remember, you know, it's it was kind of like there was a square in the middle and Gene Hackman and, and Ann Archer are in the middle of it and I, I there's sort of like a, a non-detailed kind of uh, shape around them there's a square and then that and i remember that really clearly but it was one of those ones that like i kind of thought was not an a- i didn't think it was an action movie mm. i didn't it was kind of like it felt like based on the box it was like a 90s erotic thriller or something like that this is without the context of like reading what it was about right. but just like back in the days when you used to go to a video store and like pick a movie based sometimes just on what it looks like on the box right like yeah. that was that was all
2: part of the the magic of the, the experience was, was guessing what based on those images yeah. wow what what adventure is in store for me
3: and so this was actually the first time i've ever seen
2: the movie oh I'd okay i never okay. seen. i
3: knew of it i knew it existed but i'd never actually seen narrow
2: margin. Well, before. it's going to be an interesting discussion whether you've seen the movie, whether you've not seen the movie. We we will try and avoid um, spoilers or at least give you a heads up if we do. I highly recommend you check this movie out if you haven't seen it.
3: I watched it on um, Amazon Prime, which is a bad transfer, but I believe a Blu-ray came that's out. That's what
2: I was just about to say. There's an excellent Blu-ray that Kino Lorber put out a few years ago. that has, uh, Peter Himes' Uh, commentary on it and an excellent commentary by a film critic uh, who is called, I believe, Peter Tonget, who mm-hmm. talks about how he was interested in um, doing a book about Peter, Peter Hyams' filmography. Uh, In the end, he didn't write the book, but he sort of talks through, in a way, I think he kind of cathartically figures out his feelings about Hyams, who is a fascinating filmmaker. Really fascinating filmmaker. filmmaker. If you look at, uh, yeah, the, the totality of his filmography is really, really interesting. And there's a clear kind of pattern. And he's worked with most of the, a lot of the most iconic movie stars ever. He did a movie called Hanover Street with Harrison Ford. He, I've never um, seen that. I haven't seen. I haven't seen it either. I think it's a World War ii movie. Oh, he did a movie I love, which is a really End of Days. <laughs> no, Outland with uh, Sean Connery. Oh, that is a good movie, which right? Is Cable classic. A, I think uh, it, it's one of those movies, and we talked about this a little bit with films like the comparison of films like Taken, 1, 2 3 versus Towering Inferno. How a film can be hip and contemporary or not, even when it's like a long, you know, when it, when, it's, when it was made a long time ago. To me, Outland is still a very cool, hip movie. Oh, like kind of timeless in you know? and its, and it's, it's just, coolness. It's there's a style, it's very stylish, it, mm-hmm. again, it feels kind of, it feels contemporary. Um, I, great Sean Connery performance and a, a, amazing production design. And then he's he also made the sequel, having, having the balls to do a sequel to a Kubrick movie. Oh, he did 2010. 2010. That's pretty brave, you know. And but actually, he engaged with Kubrick, and was um, Kubrick was actually supportive of that of that of that project. And another work with another iconic movie star in that, Roy Scheider.
3: I love Roy um, Scheider. We haven't talked about Roy Scheider. We should. There's a connection to this Scheider I mean, Scheider cast. Scheider, here it <laughs> comes. Every subject. <laughs> How esoteric of a movie star <laughs> podcast do you guys want? <laughs> do you want us to talk about every episode of Sequest DSV? <laughs> or are we going in a different direction? Schneider cast. We should do it. That yeah, would I'm be down. confusing to people. Uh my favorite Peter Himes movie is probably The Presidio. Mm. That was a big my dad and I movie growing up. Sean yeah. Connery. Is it Sean Connery? Sean Connery, Sean Connery, again. Connery and yep. Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon, who was an almost movie star before he's he kind good of became at, he's a TV good in actor. that. It, yeah. it, but
2: I think he found Mark Harmon's acting style is so low-key, mm. you know, that I think he works best for. For television, even though I think he has the mm. chops and the charisma, uh and you know he's good looking and good looking you know, guy, he, he's you know I think he, wasn't he like a quarterback at UCLA or something? Probably. He
3: gives off that sort of I think all was American like a, vibe. I
2: think he was a star college football. It's wild player. how
3: many actors were football players. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's um, a really um, thing. We're going in wild um, directions today. Let's uh, get back on track. Get so, it? Oh, look at you!
3: That was a good good segue. <laughs> Phil's really getting good at the segues. It's really good. Um, let's let so I think. Look, here's the thing: I hadn't seen this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, this is a good. You should watch it. But also, this is a good deep dive into sort of the, the post, the almost the immediate post Die Hard kind of uh, milieu, the kind of movies that were made after Die Hard. And I, I think it's it's a really interesting movie to reflect on. And and in my mind, an action movie, but a bunch of other things. But before we get there, Phil, you want to give us some. Fast facts
2: about the film Narrow Margin. Okay. Narrow Margin is a neo-noir action thriller that was released by Tristar in the US on September 21st, 1990. uh, Approximately three months after the release of Die Hard 2, Die Harder which came out in uh July 2nd of that year that was the last film that we did and of course we're tracking these films um chronologically so that we can see the patterns as they evolve and mutate and adapt written directed and shot by Peter Hines
3: I love that he shot it Yeah very That's unusual so cool. and a
2: union nightmare and- by the way like <laughs> the, he talks about quite candidly on the commentary Oh really
3: yeah, because t- could he touch the camera? I bet he couldn't even touch yeah, the yeah, camera. It's a
2: whole, yeah, I, it's a very complicated process. I think Soder- Soderbergh does that yeah. too, but he does it under a, a pseudonym. I think it's become a little easier. Oh, I think in those Peter days... Andrews shoots all of Steven <laughs> Soderbergh's <movies. laughs> Right, right, right. The great Peter Andrews. I love Peter Andrews <laughs> and awesome. Mary
3: and Bernard. They're just <laughs> both geniuses.
2: Um, so it was produced by Jonathan A. Zimbert. It stars Gene Hackman and Archer. And James B. Sicking.
3: I'm going to take issue with your, um, with your stars here because it also stars J.T. Walsh.
2: Oh, I was coming to J.T. Hey, J.T. My man. I, I love. Who
3: doesn't love J.T. Walsh?
2: This is a remake. It's a remake of the 1952 film noir "The Narrow Margin," which was directed by Richard Fleischer. Uh, we'll talk more about the the film the film noir which I've seen. So if you do have any, you know, I I intended to
3: watch it this, this week, but I got caught up in uh, life. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, but you, know, you did, you did, you did. I it. watched it. Yeah, so if you you know that's perfect. So you can ask me if there's anything Phil you're lives in a cave in. and just watches action that's it, movies nonstop. <laughs> His family hasn't the clock. seen him in months. <laughs> Um, it was made on an estimated budget of fifteen million, and it grossed ten point nine million. Colors. Kind of a, so, a flat. Yeah, just I think it probably did okay on home video. Yeah. And it, so I think it sort of probably like at least would have broke. There even, was there was a real it way was a f- modest. You know, if uh, if it was a success, I'd say it was probably a modest success box office wise. But it, I think it's a well regarded film. I
3: think it's also probably to say that there were much more common ancillary ways to make your money back on a movie than yeah, exactly broadcast television, where I'm sure it played TBS, TNT. Whatever channels totally. in the US all the time. You mentioned ITV in the UK. And I'm sure it was a movie that got a lot. There, there was still a pathway for movies to get profitable, especially $15 million. But it's you had more than one movie.
2: shot. You know, today it's kind of your opening weekend. And then that's, you know.
3: Now, Joel Silver was not directly involved with this movie. No, Joel rate.
2: Silver had nothing to do with this. I'd say there's some, like, well, we'll talk. Let, let's talk about the Die Hard DNA then, shall we? Yeah, if let's jump right into the, uh, the Die Hard
3: so, DNA. I'm, I'm into it. I like Die Hard. Do you? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's all right. All right. All right.
2: So um, yes. So this is a podcast about Die Hard. Yeah.
3: What does Die Hard on a blank mean, Phil? For those so, that for the 13 minutes
2: in, should we explain for, what Die Hard on the blank for the uni, mean? for the unin, for the uninitiated? If you're coming in cold, yes. Die Hard on a blank. First of all, welcome. Yes, Thanks hello. for being here. Coming in. I'm Liam. I'm going Do, going get, the you get comfortable. Cable car S- sit
3: down. Put your feet
2: up. Yeah. Just get, relax. Get
3: into the. Yeah. Go to the food car. Get yeah, a beer.
2: Take your time. Meet a mysterious woman <laughs> sitting next to you. Um, So yes, uh, this this show is called Die Hard on a Blank because we're exploring the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. And this is an example of a movie that in some respects replicates the classic Die Hard formula of bad guys take over a blank and it's up to one man or woman to stop them. I would say this is sort of a hybrid of um, Hitchcock Mm -hmm. and a Die Hard uh, type scenario in terms of the, and we'll talk more about some of those, well, just, I may as well do it now and then we'll talk about the personnel because it really it's the premise that's more relevant than the personnel here because Absolutely. in this movie, we have a resourceful everyman hero, which is who is a um, assistant deputy DA played by Gene Hackman. We'll talk more about him in a moment. Uh, who plays cat and mouse with these murderous bad guys while trapped in a contained and claustrophobic environment. The movie, like Die Hard, also takes place almost entirely over a compressed timeline. One night. A, during a single night. One train ride that yep. takes place overnight and through the mountains of Canada. Yeah, through the Canadian- British Columbia Through the Canadian Rockies, which is essentially a complete, a beautiful wilderness. Um, it relies heavily on suspense and tension based around the threat of discovery. And the other reason why I'm excited to talk about this because, as I said, it's sort of a hybrid of, of... It's in the classic tradition of train movies. There's Hitchcockian elements, but it feels like it's been updated uh, for the you know, post Die Hard, post lethal right. weapon, it, it has a sort of shot of adrenaline that's, a, that, that's required for movies of that time. I don't think it could be as low key as a straight uh, Hitchcockian thriller in the post Die Hard climate. So that's why I think it ups the ante on on the action, especially in the first uh, thirty minutes.
3: Uh, yeah, and I think there's a. There, I think Peter Himes it has some other interests besides action movies in this film. In terms, like he clearly knows his film history, and in fact, as I understood it. Saw the the original film The 1952 film The Narrow Margin Like on TV And was like That was pretty good mm. I want to make a new version of it
2: And it's ripe for um, <clears throat> It's certainly ripe for a remake The original film noir Is actually very short um, so It's like an hour 20 Yeah right? it's, it's really really um, Yeah it, it's great by the way Is it good? It's I, I really was, good I
3: should watch it I imagine it, it it's a little stagier And kind of like you would expect From a movie of that era right?
2: Well again I mean it, It's one of those rare th- you know, some of these movies that you watch—I think that's from 1952. 1952. Right? Some movies from that time can feel like they're—they're they're a life, like just so detached from our current. What do you mean? People talking like, like this. this. <laughs> exactly. And then now and again, you'll see one that that feel again feels very contemporary. Now I'd say this one feels—it's pretty—it's cool. Yeah. It's a—it's a legit cool uh, movie. It's a cool vibe. Uh, some of the differences are in that one. The main character is is a cop. Um, he is a, in this one, um, Gene Hackman is a lawyer, meaning to some extent, he's sort of defanged. He doesn't have a gun, you know, and mm. he doesn't necessarily have the same resources. So that was one of the, the changes that they made. The other thing I wanted to just mention though, about why I think this film is significant in the, in the, in the sort of canon of die hard on a blank films is that it's, 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 it's sort of started the, the a subgenre or a mutation of that formula that um was picked up by films such as speed under siege 2 dark territory Unders- under siege 2 dark territory eric Pagosian forever Woo! Woo! and uh and unstoppable which is um, a, whoof, which is an all-timer banger of a movie so some of the personnel connections to Die Hard are, are a little more they're a bit more tangential, but they're still relevant. It was executive produced by Andrew Vajna and Mario Casar of Carolco Pictures. Woo! Now um, that
3: that is a very nostalgic moment. That, when logo, that logo, right? Comes up yeah. And you kind of feel like when that logo comes up, I'm like, I'm in for a down
2: and dirty action
3: movie. like for me, it has I associate feel. it
2: with Terminator 2, which yes. I watched a million times on video.
3: Pretty good movie, Terminator 2. It's okay. Yeah. it's
2: Sort of it's indifferent a great to yeah, it. I don't know if it no, rocks. It's like the super. most unbelievable sci-fi action movie yeah, of all time.
3: Uh, pretty good. That Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's got a future. Yeah, he's he's going to be fine.
2: Um, they also did uh, First Blood, Red Heat, Total Recall, Cliffhanger, and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, they did Die Hard with a Vengeance. Credits. One of those. One of them did. One of them wasn't on that. But do they do
3: Tango and Cash? no if they feel it feels like they could that have was done tango Peters and
2: goober uh, right okay. but they're probably kind of they probably had a sim yeah i get where you, i see why you why it you just feels
3: that. like well red heat sometimes i think i confuse red heat and tango and cash yeah because they have that well they have schwarzenegger right but it's also like just there's just something there's something about that era of vhs yeah. cases
2: late 80s early 90s and in fact like, to that point our good friends at uh, Clash of the Titles mm-hmm. uh, did a podcast where they uh, did a, they compared or, or actually pitted against each other Red Heat and Tango and Cash.
3: Oh, I should listen so, to that one. I should go back into the archives
2: and listen so to that. So check that one. out if you're uh, uh, interested in, in that. The other thing that I think is interesting is that Peter Hyams would go on to make a direct, uh, a, a diehard in a stadium movie, Sudden Death, with Jean Claude Van Damme. From wow. ninety, f- I think that's ninety-five, and he would also go on to make another sort of arguably a die-hard on a blank mu- uh, movie called The Relic, which is die-hard oh, in a museum with a monster. monster. I like the Relic. I like it too.
3: I remember seeing, I remember reading the book, like you know, and then seeing the movie, and the, it's pretty gross. Tom Sizemore.
2: I I, I could I, love I could Tom talk Sizemore. forever about that guy.
3: You know, for me. The action is the juice.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And by the by, Penelope Ann Miller liked a tweet that I uh, posted the other day. So I suddenly feel and like... Penelope Ann Miller? I, I felt legitimized by that.
3: Penelope Ann Miller, I like The Shadow. And I don't care wow. who knows it. Wow. That was a big pandemic rewatch for me. And I was like, this movie... Where are you on The Phantom? You know, I've never seen the Phantom. But I, I seen but I of like Billy. I can't, seen I the can't relate
2: to those sort of nineteen thirties style. Oh no? You know. Although I do love Dick Tracy. But anyway, we're 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 going <laughs> wild. To- <laughs> Would you please focus, Phil? That's um, my diehard DNA done.
3: That was great. And I and I there's also a we'll get we'll we'll jump into this but there's a moment in the movie and i'm sure you can guess where it is where all of a sudden it feels like the movie becomes a Joel Silver movie oh, that's like for sure. really almost jarringly uh, yeah. jarringly places the movie in its era and i'll i'll give you a little hint it has to do with a machine gun and a helicopter two of my
2: favorite things in movies
3: but before we get there yeah you do you do love a helicopter i do you love a helicopter
2: well that was one of the things i was just going to you know to, before we move into talking about the specifics of the movie this movie takes place in, you know, amongst the great cinematic tradition of of train movies that we talked about a little bit, Strangers on a Train, Runaway Train. The Man Who Knows Too Much, another Hitchcock movie that begins on a train. Um, Movies we may do, such as Snowpiercer, Money Train, Source Code. I really like, oh, Source Code Code is good. Source Code's great. Source
3: Code's really good. Duncan Jones, good good filmmaker. I really,
2: really like his films. Moon. And, And going back to what we were saying before is that Outland was a huge influence on Moon. Mm. um on duncan jones uh, debut movie so we know my feelings about helicopters we know your feelings about submarines today we're going to talk about trains as an arena for for mayhem so um should we talk about the premise of the movie yeah should kind we of should we
3: move into our second section yeah. called anatomy of an action movie let's very do quickly according to our action movie expert phil gawthorn the the characteristics that make up a good action movie. What do you have to have to have a good action movie?
2: So the the sort of tenets that I came up with are um, the premise, uh, the ticking clock, the hero, the villain, uh, the action, and the humor and it's it's actually proven as as we're going through this process sort of putting those parameters around it and analyzing films through that prism is quite en, it's quite enlightening because you can kind of see you know the, the idea of this whole thing is really die hard scores four marks in every category some movies that we're doing might score high marks in some categories but less in others and as a result there's sort of the overall feeling about it might that makes that's the difference between a 3-star movie and a 5-star movie you know like like die hard which is the bar you know
3: and I actually, for this movie, I won't tell you what it is, but I have a sixth category that I would like to add occasionally Great. for movies that I've been thinking about. So let's first, let's give a, we're not going to go beat by beat through this movie. I think we're going to highlight yeah, some specific strokes, films. Yeah. But would you like to give us a little a little sense of the premise of yeah. the movie? I, we talked about it briefly, but like, why don't you give us a quick rundown?
2: Right. So the premise of the movie is that the Los Angeles deputy DA, Robert Caulfield, who's played by Gene Hackman has to protect a murder witness called Carolyn... Excuse me, Carol Hunnicutt, played by Ann Archer. Woo woo, Ann Archer, lover, uh... sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I heckling my co-host? <laughs> Calm down. As they travel through the Canadian wilderness on an overnight passenger train. Unfortunately, this said train also contains two ruthless underworld hitmen who will stop at nothing to kill her. So that's the kind of the the basic um, the basic setup um.
3: Here's the thing that's interesting about this movie, and you said it was a neo noir. Yeah. But what's interesting, like from a from my point of view, if I can give my sort of like g- uh, th- um, genre breakdown, the first 20 minutes of this movie feel like a John Grisham novel. Mm,
1: mm.
3: Ann Archer playing it's sort Carol of in Hennigan. the legal world. Yeah. And, and, she and, Goes you know, and meets corridors of lawyers. Offices, right. Yeah. She goes to meet a. Um, a man for a blind date at a hotel. Right in LA, uh, they sort of—they're both very convincing in terms of the awkwardness of the first date. And uh, he gets a gets a note at, on their first date, which is going pretty well. They're enjoying a drink before their dinner, and they go upstairs together. And, and to Peter Heim's credit, he doesn't—he doesn't sort of short shrift the emotional connections. He makes you believe in them as people. And she goes upstairs with him, and there's this awkward moment where he's like, I got a call. I'm, I'm sorry. It's. I know it's weird, but I have to go upstairs and call my client. And so she goes upstairs with him, and she's in the bathroom. And his client, he calls his client, who does not answer. And then his client, whose name is?
2: Uh, Leo Watts. Leo
3: Watts, played by- The amazing Harris Eulin. Harris Eulin from Ghostbusters 2, baby, comes in and murders J.T. Walsh's lawyer character. Right. And right. all of a sudden- it still feels like a grisham movie because then we move into as you said lawyerville and that element and so and it and then in the midpoint of the movie it, it sort of becomes an action movie for a while and then it really leans into the noir elements which we can talk about but like i think the the most effective part of this movie is the screenplay because i think it's not that it's not a well-made movie but peter Himes is clearly like a student of cinema loves mm-hmm. film noir is also kind of leaning into the the it sort of predates the legal thriller that would become with yep. the sort yep. of action legal thriller that would become popular with the the firm and some other films that'll come out like later on it's a yeah, little bit of the a lawyer as
2: hero or the right. lawyer as action hero that the the firm sort of uh walked that, that right. line and, a little and bit,
3: and you still occasionally see movies like that, yeah. that that kind of come out with they might not be outright action films but they have a thriller element like the matthew mcconaughey film from, a, the, from the, a lincoln, the, the lincoln the lincoln lawyer, lawyer. like yeah. just this kind of like for lack of a better word summer fiction that you would read this movie begins sure. kind of like a beach book yeah uh, and then it and then it becomes an outright action movie
2: yeah you know throughout. Especially, especially towards towards the end and and what you're saying is well there was a quote from Himes that i love where he said that, there's a kind of film that i lost after which is a grown-up thriller yes and I thought that was that was sort of quite a concise and succinct um, definition of what this is. And this is a year, and I think we talked about this on one of the other on one of the other shows. Where Presumed Innocent was like one of the biggest hits, box office. I'm hits a big fan of, of the Presumed
3: year. Innocent. I, I love, think it's I mean, a very and it's got strong Bonnie movie. Bedelia, you mm-hmm. know,
2: um, from from uh, a little film called Die Hard. I've heard of it, but it, it's it does speak to the, the you know we're just in a different era where uh, courtroom dramas could pack out the theaters. Well, now know? it would
3: be a TV show. Yeah. You know, I think that that's part of it, too, which, you know, not to get all like movies used to be better, but I I do miss the adult thriller yes. getting the release in movie theaters the, that you and, can go and, and see. Those
2: relationships at the beginning do feel like they're they're not kids. They're both, I think, you know, divorcees or, you know, middle aged people. and It's very real. And I think, again, like Die Hard, you know, Die Hard, we forget there's about 35 minutes before any action. You spend a lot Lot of of time setting up the characters so that you, setting up the relationships, setting up the emotional stakes in Die Hard, which is, you know, that this relationship is sort of hanging by a thread with his wife can it be repaired? We're invested in that for both of them. We like them. They've got kids who we meet. All of those kind of things that make the world feel textured and real. And then we're more, uh, you know, emotionally invested in, in what happens to these characters. And
3: to put it another way, in some ways, this feels like a movie that could actually happen. And I think what's great about action movies of this era is that, you know, whatever percentage of the movie feels like real life. And then there's the Flights into action fantasy with helicopters and people driving inexplicably yeah. through the woods without wrecking their cars or diving out a window without bleeding or any of the like. There's there's sort of flights of insanity, but there's a lot of the movie. I wrote one of my notes that I took is that is this kind of a movie about sad middle aged people who only have their work going well, on yeah, in their and lives. There's a
2: lot of there's another character that comes in that's sort of a slightly sad divorcee character and it's almost yeah that a lot of the characters are older i mean we're going to talk about when we hackman, get to the was 60. hackman was
3: 60 years old and ann archer was like 43 right yeah and and i i don't know to that they're not kids and it's something i appreciate about the movie because they're not they look like gene hackman has never looked like what you would consider a quote-unquote movie star um, and you know it's so it's, a, it's really interesting again it's an era when it wasn't when the actors were a little they looked a little more like
2: re- real, people, re- real people yeah it makes right? them more relatable you yeah. don't have to be on the cover of Men's Health with their like abs us. out like us yeah. by the way that's and coming they're, out they're next always week. hassling me to go on the cover and I'm like guys it's
3: actually Men's Podcaster me that's the name <laughs> of the magazine yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Phil and I just lifting our that, shirts that up that would
2: have very <laughs> low a, circulation <laughs> how dare you
3: speak for yourself um, so that's the plot. Look, we could go forever, but this 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 I think the thing that's interesting is simple plot, but really n- nuanced, varied texture to yes. this movie. And I think that and it's, it's genre. Very... It straddles genres. And to your
2: point about the screenplay, again, listening to the commentary, one of the things that really impressed me about Haim's approach was he he was would would have like everybody look at the screenplay and be like, "Where's the plot holes?" So that I can plug them. Oh, that's so great. That everything was very well thought through. Why can't they get off? Train. Well, this is the reason why. Why can't they call the cops in such and such a moment? Why can't he? He kind of figured out all of those parameters so that everything was very logical and tight, and you don't have to, you know, there's no there was just no mistakes, I Mm -hmm. think, in that sense, and that's why I think it's a very tight. Um, economical screenplay
3: And it's only a 99 minute movie Or something yeah. like that it's Which is really Lean It's yeah. lean Yeah it's it's lean Doesn't
2: overstay its welcome
3: And that's because it has a ticking clock That's moving yes. the story forward So the ticking Funny clock Funny you is, should bring that up I, Liam. Well thank I am a, on the cover of Men's Podcaster this <laughs> month But uh, it does <laughs> <laughs> With An IPA in hand The chunky jumper
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> How dare you I don't drink IPAs the ticking clock is the thing that's propelling and pushing the story forward. So what is the ticking clock for, for a narrow, narrow margin? margin? So
2: basically, just to to lead into that slightly, so when um Caulfield is, is trying to you know is trying to track down uh the, the this character, Carol Honecker, who's witnessed the, the murder at the hands of or-, or the direction of Harris Ulin's mobster character. So against the order of his of his boss, uh, Colfield takes a detective called Benty, who's played by the amazing Emmett Walsh, who Ugh. we will revere at length later. Um, they take a helicopter to Carol's remote cabin in the Canadian wilderness, and they're hoping to convince her to testify and bring her back to L.A. She refuses, and that's when the helicopter assault comes this in. This when it becomes a Joel is, Silver movie, yeah. For about for about fifteen minutes, it's a straight up it's Lethal Weapon pretty, two pretty style. Pretty striking sequence. You know, Very it's well brilliantly, directed, brilliantly yeah. filmed, brilliantly edited. Um, large again almost all in camera, apart from a tiny bit of model work. Really? Yeah.
3: yeah. There's a strong sense of continuity to the way they're cut going down the mountain it's that I think is really impressive. That, not a lot of know. insert, not a lot of, I should say, shots inside the car, like a lot more of the car. Yeah. It's like a battle between machines, you know, yeah. like a helicopter and a car going...
2: And there's yeah. a desperation to it that's yeah. really great, you know, and because this this it's just something that was thrust upon them. It, you you love a helicopter,
3: you know. I have a picture of you sort of getting into your bed with your footy pajamas on. You're like good night, and you press a button, and it's just soundtracks of helicopters with machine <laughs> yeah. guns going up, and
2: you're immediately. Asleep. It's not a million miles away from the trip. <laughs> and your to be wife honest. is like. <laughs> my poor wife i insist once this is this is this is inside baseball but uh, every year on my around my birthday week i insist that we watch red heat and fall asleep to it that's how. That's how weird I am. You're a man. How I'm still married. I don't know. But it takes me back to that. It just sort of. You know how in in the Big Lebowski, the dude plays uh, those bowl, like the sound of bowling pins yeah, yeah. being <laughs> knocked down on his <laughs> Walkman. That's me, but with helicopters and James Horner's score and people being shot and Arnold going, "I have my orders." <laughs> And it just soothes me very into Boboland. Sure. Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. I just listen to recordings of us talk when I fall asleep. <laughs> so,
2: so basically after this desperate chase, um they uh, Benty is the MM M. M. Walsh character is killed in this assault, so uh, Coalfield and Carol flee and they seek solace on a passing train. The, however the two hitmen track them track them down, they board the same train which sets up the ticking clock, which is can Caulfield and Carol survive the night, outwit the determined assassins, and make it back to civilization before these hitmen?
3: They're headed kill for them.
2: Vancouver,
3: lovely city. I don't know if I'd want to be hunted there, but it's a nice place. It's a nice place to visit. Yeah, I mean, and I think there's to Peter Hames's credit. There's only so many places you can hide on a train. Yeah, and there's it. I don't think the movie does this but i think at a certain point one could stretch believability in terms of how well she's able to stay hidden and he does a good job of of moving uh, her around the train you know at one point she hides in the bathroom at one point she hides in the closet of the of the room she's in like it does a nice job of making you feel as though they're missing her, and also it does something very, very smart, which might be an interesting lead into or to our next category, where finally at about the hour mark of the movie, maybe a little earlier, Hackman has to confront these two assassins who are on the train well, looking this, for him.
2: And in my opinion, this scene, so there's a character, oh, it's a great scene. It's heat esque. It is heat, heat-esque, yeah, Very good, right? yeah. Like, and this is a scene that I really wanted to talk about because I think it's the best. It's the best scene in the movie. So basically, what happens is. This character, played by um, James James B. Sicking, uh, James B. Sicking, sorry, just
3: wonderful in this movie. I, I don't know, I can't think of a single other thing I've seen him in, but he's he's a Himes
2: uh, regular. He casts him a lot. Himes cast? In, uh, we Hi- do Himes cast? Himes <laughs> cast? <laughs> yes, yes. Give, you know me the, he, give me all of them. You know, them. his son is a filmmaker. Yeah, now. and he's making a name for himself. Yeah, um, he has a new film called he's doing, Sick. He's doing he's doing really well. He he cut his teeth doing a bunch of Universal Soldier. Uh, Which are apparently are amazing. Apparently quite Rege- elevated. We should get yeah, regeneration. Universal yeah. soldier yeah. podcast? Yeah. Universal
3: podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Van Damme cast. Now that's uh, well, we're kind of mm-hmm. doing that any, any, yeah. anyway. We should probably slow down on yeah, the. I mean, yeah. we're already on doing the iguana cast. Yeah, iguana cast is taking up a lot of my time as it is.
3: I get so many calls from iguanas <laughs> asking, "Can they come, yeah, on. come on the show?" Yeah, exactly. Jub Jub
2: is like hitting me up nonstop. Oh,
3: he's had a tough. He's had a tough run. That behind the music, behind the iguana. Okay, wow, we're off track so, here. So focus. So this out.
2: character. It, so basically, James B. Sicking is the is is uh, the enforcer for um, the the mobster character. And there's this wonderful scene that's probably about two-thirds into the movie, so it's sort of a key point structurally, where he s- confronts Hackman, and they sit down in the uh, in the sort of uh, what would you call like the cafeteria, the, <laughs> the cafe cafe car, the cafe car of, of the train. Love a cafe car. And have a drink and basically talk about the situation. And it's an amazing scene because it's almost like a timeout from the conflict. And it's like, let's talk. Well,
3: it's kind of a you negotiation. Know?
2: Well, he's trying to bribe him. Yeah, right? essentially. So, but there's also an element of it's, it, it's relaxed because there's people around. But at the same time, it has that heat type feel of like at any when the first time you watch heat, there's always that feeling of... Maybe one of them's going to pull a gun out from under the table, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And brother, they're, they're... you are going down. <laughs> Should we just annoy everyone by just trying, like, badly recreating that uh, that heat? I will not hesitate. <laughs> the cafe, cafe, conversation in the cafe. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. Stay, Stay with us. Um, it's it's an incredible scene, and and I think with you know a, a couple of years ago he played at um one, you know one of the one of the theaters yeah in the it got West a big good
3: got a big rep screening uh, all around because it's the something like the thirtieth or it's coming up yeah. on.
2: A long time since it so came out. I, I went to see it for the first time at the, on the big screen before I'd uh, since since I saw it when it came out. Michael Mann was there afterwards, and there was a Q and A, and it was awesome. But what struck me about seeing the movie on the big screen was the sort of micro expressions between mm-hmm. De Niro and Pacino are magnified in a way that you don't experience quite the same way at home. And this is similar because it's two master actors who are in a. The scene has conflict. It it has Dramatic tension. It has a goal because Jim Sicking's intention is: I'm trying to bribe this lawyer to basically point her out, point out the witness because they don't want to know what she looks like, and look the other way. And he makes a very compelling offer. He said, "That's all you have to do, and we will give you ten times your salary to do that. You'll never earn this money again in your life. You don't have to do anything." And then you can we won't even kill pretend. You. You can, he yeah. says,
3: "You can even pretend, make a show to of saver. protecting yeah. her." And he so makes so, it's so
2: great because he makes such a compelling. Um, you know, case seductive, but, yeah, that, and and he's very sort of affable. Yeah. And he's very, like, reasonable in this mm-hmm. moment, even though we know that this guy is a stone cold. Killer. Well, he's kind of like the devil. Yeah. And
3: not to, like, there's this interesting yes. sort of, like, pick from the tree of, you know, that kind of thing is interesting because. Yeah, it's a temptation I a, element. I, I made a joke yeah. later, but Peter Hames, one of his last big films, I would say, is End of Days, End of days the yeah. movie where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fights the devil as mm. personified by Gabriel Byrne. So, mm. like, you know, obviously this is not religious in any sense, but there's this sort of moment where they sit down. And it's like, look. Let me make this easy on you. One of my favorite things about that scene, couple things. One is it's also manian man-esque in that there's that moment of like, look, you're a professional. I'm a professional. Yep. We're being professional about this. And uh he has a goon who's like the hitman who actually mm-hmm. does the hits with him. And <laughs> Ackman just just gives him shit the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Like he he turns to him at one point, he's like, he's trying to make a deal with me. And yeah. like only Hackman, yeah. Only Hackman would do that delivery that way, and it's really great. But it, yeah. There's something seductive about it. I love that. I I love that he orders a seven and seven, which is a what is that? It is a whiskey and Seven Up. Okay.
2: And the the other guy who orders a Scott. A Jack Dan- is Jack Daniel's, Jack Daniels. The number yeah. seven? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. when I watched it again, I was like, "What is that?" Seven uh, so
3: I, seven? it's a Jack Daniel's, right? And yeah. a, and and okay. and and um Hackman orders a coffee. Yeah, which I think is also interesting in terms of the character it's very details, telling yeah. little details there I'm on the there. clock
2: I'm staying sharp whereas right. the other guy I'm relaxing
3: well they think they probably think they're gangsters they're probably like money buys money cures all all yeah. problems right this feels like the moment to talk about
2: The The next category, the hero. Yes. So interestingly, Gene Hackman's character of Robert Caulfield does share a number of uh, McLean style characteristics. McLean esque. On on face value, totally different. You know, he's a 60 year old uh, DA, um, you know, whereas whereas McLean is a 35 year old, uh, you know, detective. But they do share, uh, there's actually a lot of common ground. They both have no respect for authority um, there or rules or bureaucracy. Or very
3: specific you know? kind of authority, but yeah, he, yeah, 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 Hackman goes against like his boss, boss
2: and his, his boss is sort of beating, he's trying to tie him up. He sa- "He literally says, last time you put me in your bureaucrat- bureaucratic blender and you know, we, he got away and you're trying to do it to me again. So he kind of cuts through that, that red tape. He's very wily and resourceful. He's a great improviser and bullshitter. Note the scene where Um, Anne Archer's character pretends to be pregnant In order to get the uh, private compartment He immediately picks up the queue and it's very mammoth, that type of scene. like yeah. the conot the sort of the, subtle the con, con, that's the good. con the house
3: of games kind yeah, house of, of thing. Games yeah, or, totally. you know
2: or glengarry you know like th- when someone's when someone's a slick con person and the other person's like hip right. so they, they kind of get you know, that's they, a they good connection the, i hadn't made they pick pick it up pretty quickly he's also got strong, strong detective skills even though he's not a cop there's a couple of little moments like when he gets they get to the cabin he feels the engine of the truck and goes it's warm meaning like mm. it's been driven recently she's probably home you know, things like that. Oh, I don't that, think I picked up on know. that, but that's smart. He also notes that the train is slowing down when they're trying to get on it, meaning there must be a stop coming up soon. Things like that that just show this guy is smart. Yeah, you know? he is smart. He's resourceful. In the way that McLean and McLean is is similar <clears throat> in that in that sense.
3: One thing I would say though is there are moments where especially filtered through the lens of Anne Archer's character, is that he is a little hapless and she always feels like you're not doing that yeah. good of a job. And I like that as an approach because this is a film noir, and one thing that he does not pick up on in the entire film is that there's this woman showing an interest in him on the train, Yeah, and they sit together and they talk, and it seems as though she's flirting with him. If there's a femme fatale character, the film noir yeah. thing, it's this woman. Yep. There's And what's interesting is there's also this like sort of portly, chubby detective fellow who he thinks is an accomplice of these two murderers, these two gangster murderer assassin types. And he... He mistakenly identifies this guy as their third, but it's actually the woman. And, and I think Peter Heim sort of calls on the classic sort of like male protagonist being sort of flummoxed or caught off guard by a femme fatale character that's really rewarding at the end of the train because there's a reveal where she's on the roof of the train and, and this woman has a gun. And Ann Archer and Hackman are both taken aback by it. And it's I to be to be fair, I kind of didn't see it coming. I mean, I sh- sort of sort of should have. He he sort of telecasts that this woman has something to do with the story, but she's so convincingly performed. And to Hackman's credit, he seems so distracted by what's going
2: on on the train. He never picks up on like
3: why is this woman talking
2: to Oh, me? it's br- it's it's brilliant. And and one of the the other things that underpins that that Hyam's talked about and this also speaks to like the underpinnings of die hard which for me McT- and I, i'm connecting it to what you're saying Mc- McTiernan. we didn't ever actually talk about this but his quote-unquote secret melody for die hard was a midsummer night's dream and he, the thinking behind that was that it was a a festival night where the princes become asses and the asses become princes, in his words, right? That's <sighs> so, so great. Incredible, right? Oh. Now, it's interesting when you think about Die Hard in that way because you do see that the high status characters are humbled and vice versa. Now, Mid- Mid- Midnight Summers now, cast? Please stop. <laughs> please stop. Okay. You're like, I'm drawing a line. <laughs> So um, Yes, but you're but, right. There's a reversal. So where I'm going with this is what Hayams what uh, said that his intention with this film was something very specifically was the characters you think are good end up being bad mm-hmm. and the characters you think are bad end up being good. And that was a very deliberate decision for the underpinnings of the kind of this twist laden story where you don't know who to trust because there's a scene where, for example, and we don't wanna you know, maybe you should stop with it. if you if you are gonna watch the film, you know, um I consider pause this it a here spoiler. It, there, warning, this is yeah. there is a, there are it's, be also some spoilers. From, it's
3: also from literally the year of nineteen ninety. So, so if you haven't seen it, it by it out.
2: A, yeah, this is your problem. <laughs> get, get, Get on it. Not my issue. But there's a scene where, um, for example, there's two Canadian policemen that turn up that are supposed to that are supposed to help them. And that scene also had echoes of the Bill Clay battle of wits because Cole right. uses police jargon to test them to test them. It, you know, and, does he say and something he about something like a, I've got them, I think I've got them on a three fourteen, which um, is a decent exposure. Yeah, but they they think but they he's, go with like, it oh, because yeah, they're, right, yeah. they're they're fake. So he exposes, you know, he exposes their uh, duplicity. So also like McCLean um, he is a he doesn't like flying in the helicopter scene he's complaining about it to uh, M. M. M Walsh. it goes it goes it goes on and on
3: My favorite element of this character to come back to it a little bit is his sort of like thinking on his feet trying to be resourceful but never quite being all the way successful yeah and I and I, this is the moment where I would like to recommend two Gene Hackman movies from the 1970s uh, one of which is pretty well known. And the other is less well-known, but is an absolute masterpiece. Um, The first one is the film The Conversation, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which in my hot take coming, I think is the best movie Francis Ford Coppola ever made. And I I just think it's unbelievable. It's about about a, a sound recordist who sort of uh, becomes obsessed with a conversation in which uh, he records. And after the case, two people die, he gets sort of embroiled in a conspiracy. There are long sequences of the film where he's sort of listening to the tape again and again and again. He's um, he's being followed. He's being watched. He's sort of like, you know, slowly descending into madness. And, all, by the way, sort of put upon by a young Harris, a pre-Star Wars Harrison Ford. It's just a, a, a great, great movie. Pretty well known and pretty popular, and, and absolutely worth seeing. The second is the film Night Moves, directed by Arthur Penn. Have you seen Night Moves? I haven't.
2: I haven't. It, I'm and, all over the conversation, but Night yeah. Moves is one of the ones that's been on my list, and I I've you never, should you
3: should well so a couple things about Night Moves. he plays a private detective in L.A. who gets sent to find a missing girl. Sold yeah 100% and then the the case gets more complicated and more intriguing throughout and it's uh if he's a little buttoned up in narrow margin and very buttoned up in the conversation playing sort of like very mm. stilted characters in some ways i mean the conversation is like you know, borderline, like he's really extreme in terms of his, you know, social skills. I would say in this film, he's a little bit better and a little funnier. Night Moves, he's kind of just a prick who doesn't give a shit at the beginning, kind of has a lot of opinions, and by the end is sort of decimated by by what happens to him. It is a phenomenal movie. He enjoyed a relationship with Arthur Penn. They made a bunch of movies together, and he, Arthur Penn cast Gene Hackman in his first movie, mm. Bonnie and Clyde, which mm. is a yeah, yeah, classic, yeah.
2: and probably when he was in his 40s, yeah. right? He was and a late was really bloomer. What sort of put him on the map, right? Totally. Bonnie and, Bonnie and Clyde, right?
3: Yeah, no, it was his first movie, which yeah. is amazing. And, you know, I mean, just a bunch of other great performances. This is a can't, guy who also can't go wrong. played Hackman, Lex Luthor. Hackman
2: cast, I will sign Hack, up for, for stop, sure. Please stop, please stop. After we do Iguana cast. Stop
3: it. <laughs> uh, and, of course, we'll probably be talk. Well, we're going to talk about him a couple times, but um, yeah, a, one of my lot. favorite late career Hackmans is... Became
2: uh, this um, Crimson, elder statesman
3: action star. Crimson Tide. Yeah. Ugh, unbelievable. And uh, Enemy of the State, which is potentially an unofficial sequel to the conversation absolutely Ab- yeah. absolutely do you like tony scott i'm just kidding <laughs> just a, just a bit just a bit save big on brunch
1: for mom all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon shop these deals at your local kroger today or tap the screen now to download the kroger app to save big today Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
3: Um, so, so
2: there's a conversation and out moves. Check them out. The, the, just to, to cap off the, the the point about Hackman, as well as I think the other the other part of his brilliance is his gift for comedy, right? And his light touch that, and his playfulness. Um, that is also slightly, like w- Bruce Willis had that quality as well. He could play, he, he's in a serious situation with high stakes, but he also had that nimble uh, ability to to infuse scenes with humor. There's one particular, and just so we may as well cover the humor a bit real quick yeah, while, we we're, d- while we're on yes. that before talking about the uh, uh, the villain. But there's a moment where, um, and this sounds a bit sort of silly and a bit slapsticky, but it's fairly well um, set up. And out of desperation, Hackman ends up taking a, uh, a kid's um, water pistol, which, by the way, is a Beretta 9mm. McLean's gun, gun. Martin Riggs's gun. Right, which we talked about before. Uh,
3: Timothy and, Dalton's gun in License Skill. I'm but, not a gun guy. No, we're but, not. We're, you know, it's just, but yeah, it's just surely ubiquitous. within the context
2: of movies. It was ubiquitous within the... Uh, yeah, it was the iconic weapon of... Of this time but there's a moment where also by the way a lot of the foreign posters used hackman holding the beretta so it was very much die-hard imagery um real quick gonna, aside we might post one
3: you know what i love is an action hero uncomfortable with guns yes i think richard dean anderson is macgyver never used a gun i always thought it was great when he'd have a gun he clearly wasn't comfortable holding it like yeah. it's kind of i mean you know it's kind of a cool touch when you have yeah. a character who's kind of like i want nothing to do with a gun
2: yeah totally totally and in this scene they play with it in an interesting way because he 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 has to he's holding a water pistol that looks convincing but you know it it's powerless right but the, Haim said that there's a little moment where he's holding it and it's like a moment of crisis deep into the third act and he pulls the trigger and the water comes out. The bubbles the come room. out. It bubbles. It's water. That's and right. It's ca- water. And, it, and Haim said on the commentary that was Hackman's idea. So those are the kind of moments that are of like giving that, that that's the kind of thing that could go wrong and just yeah. deflate the movie. But Hackman is so brilliant. I laughed that, out loud. Yeah. it's it, Those moments are great. So he he has a real, um, you know, his his comedic um, sensibilities are, are exploited well here as well as his dramatic A real know, penchant skills. for
3: a comedy. He's a great, 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 great actor. Yeah, for sure. Should we talk about um, the villains? Let's talk about the villains. You know, I think we've covered a lot with Wooten and Nelson, who are the two assassin villains. So they're, you know, Nelson in particular, very cunning, very savvy. Wooten kind of the, the sort of sidekick. So let's devote a minute here to Watts.
2: Yeah. Played by Harris, Harris Yulin. Harris, Harris Yulin, who, the, the, and I was watching it again this morning and- the bit where the door opens and you see Harris Eulin's face at right at the beginning Hello. Looked, I imagine how terrifying yeah. it would be to open any door and see Harris <laughs> Harris yeah. Ulin. he's has he's so um he's so intimidating
3: yeah he's such know? a great actor I, I, he's a he's kind of a guy that you've seen in a million things like i can remember from ghostbusters 2 what other films has he been in
2: Scarface, oh, where he right. plays uh, Mel Bernstein, the, the scuzzy uh, corrupt narcotics no, cop. Right. Training Day he has a great cameo <gasps> in that.
3: Oh, man, he is he's in one Training One of the day, three that. wise men. That is Tom a great Berringer, scene.
2: and Raymond J. Barry is like these sort of really... Behringer pop- cast? <laughs> <laughs> Sniper, I love. Yeah, <laughs> can good. I confess that? Yeah, I, no, love it's okay. It's okay. I love Sniper. I love Behringer. I think yeah. I think he's actually one of the great kind of uh, you know, uh, underrated actors of that of I that love time. him
3: in Inception. Such a cool yes. choice. Yeah, Such yeah. a cool he's choice so, to put in so the movie. great in that. And yeah.
2: Betrayed. I love that. If you're interested in political thrillers, to your point, i recommend Betrayed from 1988, Costa Gavras, where he plays a, oh, a Klansman who's been investigated by Deborah Winger from the FBI. Okay. He's undercover. It's a great S- movie.
3: Stop. Costa Gavras pod. hundred percent. Finally, we Let's cracked do, it. Yes, we figured it out. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Yulin is great because he's intimidating from the go. But he's not physically violent. He's a much closer to a Gruber yeah. than a Carl. And he he's, has a Carl.
2: Yeah, he in, has a Carl in and Wooten. In, in in Wooten, yeah.
3: Yeah. And he's just and and you know, it's interesting that you have three. You have Watts, the big boss. He's only in two scenes of the movie. Yeah. He only has lines in one of those two mm-hmm. scenes. He barely shows has any screen time with Hackman, which but he is casts really really a cool. long
2: shadow because he's such a strong actor.
3: Right, for sure. And I, I just it's 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 great. I mean, yeah. I... Ten. No notes. No notes,
2: Peter Ames. The only thing that the other, only other thing I was just going to say about Nelson is un, somewhat unusually, there's a there's a shot when he. So this is the Jim Sicking character. In that there's the helicopter attack, and we haven't seen them at that point. We just know there's a helicopter attacking them. And then when he arrives at the train station, there's a shot where Himes pans up from his boots, white boots, all the way up. He's wearing like a cream suit pulls off shooting glasses that are like uh, those orange tinted things for like, better, superior vision. And it's, to me, it's like, he looks like a wolf, mm-hmm. you know? He's got this bushy beard, he's got bushy eyebrows. He looks like, he's like a predator. Or like a Wall Street you know? guy a
3: little bit on some it's level. Just,
2: it, it, it's cool that it's, it's unusual. He it takes a moment to be like, and this is the bad guy. And it's just, a, it's, it's just like, a, like
3: the heel reveal or whatever he, you want to call it. It just kind of
2: like buttons it in a way where we're like, okay, cool. And and Sicking's actually quite um, a big guy. And all, apparently, Tall. I think Haim said he was, uh, I think it was like a water polo, like uh, Olympic level or something like that. He's quite What's an athletic guy. What's all these actors
3: from the 70s, 80s and 90s? Yeah, like I like also had a second badasses, career, like Kurt yeah. Russell was a, you know, almost played baseball, baseball right? right yeah, yeah. For sure. You know who took to call to mind a later McTiernan film? You know who he reminds me of? charles dance and
2: last action hero yes very much yes yeah. totally even down to the suit I to the think. suit well that's kind and of what the, it is it's the beard and, and the, the suit. gentlemanly yeah. manner but, yeah you're, you're, you're but a just, psycho yeah. like a psychopath Sinister. yeah 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 uh, he's great
3: great yeah great and you know great to see two actors get to dig into the meat of it in that yeah. scene that we referenced uh we referenced before i'm also a big fan of the villains having a drink in a movie. I like that. I like that they're like slightly buzzed throughout the film. <laughs> well, the other, I
2: don't know what that says about the, me. The other thing though, it's important about that scene I think from the from the screenwriting and structural standpoint and we talked about this uh, um, with some of the other examples but sometimes with these die hard on a blank scenarios they have the issue of the hero and the villain on in the same physical space. Yes. So anytime you can get them to meet, it's often your best scene
1: mm-hmm. as
2: it is in this movie, as it is in Heat, as it is in the Bill Clay scene in Die Hard and so on and so forth. Like Crimson Tide for example, I mean, you know, think about, that like the scenes where you get when you get these two incredible axes actors, actors to go at it like it's like a box. Can we do match, Crimson Tide you know? now?
3: Like, can we just change the uh, chomping at the bit? Oh, that's such a good movie. The action,
2: the action. So this film it's a bit more of a cat and mouse kind of right. thriller than an outright action. Movie. It's mostly pretty low key, apart from the beginning and the end. Um, the the helicopter assault at the beginning, which I think is really really great. We kind of talked about we, it. it's we great, about great that. strong. But it's strong. a great action. It's a truly really, really great action. And sequence. it's
3: extended. You know, it's not yeah. quick. It's probably eight to. 10 yeah. minutes you know high I, production
2: value i was about, you know, literally about yeah. to say
3: i think that when you when you're sort of in the know about these things you're it's really crazy to watch and be like holy shit like yeah. they really pulled something off yeah. with this sequence it's
2: it's it's a really really great sequence and then the other thing that i think that's significant about the action is the finale which you mentioned earlier where they're on they've they've had to get on top of the train they've sort of run out of places to hide there's another assassin who is after them this hackman and archer on top of the train and there again that was all in a lot of that's in camera there's yeah. one or two shots that might be like a process shot can you explain shot. what in camera means so in camera means um they are actually doing it in the physical space where they're What's shooting really it, as opposed to in a on, a on a on a you know on a stage with computer generated Backdrop imagery in, or backdrops visual, yeah. or whatever so they're actually on you know and hackman 60 year old man is climbing on board a, a train that is actually moving and it you feel it you know you you feel the authenticity of proto ethan hunt it. yeah and Speed, Keanu. He makes the same, the same line, basically the same joke, which is like Hackman says, "You know what I like about you? You're tall."
3: Right. Boom gets hit by, and in Speed, Dennis Hopper loses his head because Keanu Reeves holds him up. Oh, it's so gross. He says,
2: "I'm smarter than you," and then Keanu says, "Yeah, well, but I'm
3: taller." taller. Keanu, yay, the best king, um, yeah it's the action works I think the best thing about the action in this movie is it's functional as to the point there's also a, a scene in the film where Hackman dives out the window of a bathroom when yep. he's off the train that I think is just shocking and how visceral it is mm-hmm. and, and just very effective but again the action never oversells itself it works really really well love a fight on a, on the roof of a train Yeah, that's, that's preposterous but you believe it's happening you really uh, really do what I also do.
2: really like in that moment is that Ann Archer has a bit where she's like I, I can't do it I'm scared and Hackman and I think, says so, something like, "So am I," but we have to do it anyway, kind of thing. And it's just that those little touches of human realism. They're yeah. Not, so they haven't suddenly become superheroes. You know, they're two desperate, scared people, kind of doing the, doing their best, which is again a little bit like, um, you know, McClane.
3: McClane. Yeah. And the the imp- the the improvisation to survive. This is the moment where I want to bring up my sixth category. Yes, please. Now I don't know what the name of this should be, but I'm going to call it the lady. Okay. Because I think. Ann Archer has Bonnie Bedelia and Die Hard vibes in this movie. She's resourceful, she's smart, she gets out of the situation. You know, she's c- kind of c- critical of Gene Hackman. Like she doesn't just accept and she's certainly not a damsel in distress, right? Mm. I think I think she's not given as much agency per se in the movie as we'd like her to, but I like that she pushes back and I think it's it's when when possible it's good to explore kind of like you know, as we're exploring the hero, it's kind of interesting to explore, like, the, the, in the case of this, the woman who's in distress, who, like, kind of fights back and is not predictably always exactly, you know, just like, help me, help me. I really appreciate about this performance. And I, I was, I think if someone were to remake Narrow Margin in 2022, here's what I want to have happen Caulfield and M. Emmett Walsh show up at the cabin to persuade her to go. And they're immediately both blown away mm. by, you know the uh, Nelson and Wooten, and the Carol is on her own, and she gets on the train. I think that would be so cool to kind of see like I'm on my own, and then she could befriend someone on the train. Like there's a there's a version of this where there's as great as Hackman is, there's no Hackman, mm-hmm. and I think that could be like a very very cool kind of take on it well, the there's movie. also
2: some great she there's one scene in particular where an archer is really given the space to shine and again i think this is haim's gift and i the sort of monologue bit she does a speech where she basically said like towards you know in the second half of the movie work because hackman's on her case the whole time like you have to testify you have to testify and she doesn't want to testify understandably because she's scared and eventually she says look i have a, a son this isn't just about me yeah and she it's a I haven't seen him in a month or whatever it is. Beautifully acted scene. good where, actress. You know, she's great. She'll she's be back. Great.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and also, if you think about this, you know, you're a screenwriter. If you think about this from sort of a dramaturgical perspective, the character who changes over the course of this movie, and so so therefore in some ways the main character, is her yeah. going from fear to resolve to testify, yep. and, you know, because she knows it's the right thing it's to do. so
2: quietly heroic, you know. It is quietly yeah. heroic. Yeah. And,
3: you know, I think a lot of the time some of these movies kind of have the problem of... Uh, the woman in distress, but I appreciate that that Heim's strong dramatists, like McTiernan and strong dramatists, do not make these characters sort of like you know, weeping willows, or or sort no, of not, an interesting not at thing all. to announce. And Hackman's no.
2: kind of a fuck up. It's, the whole thing is he's Hackman's a fuck up. fault. Like yeah. he he brought those hitmen to her. He yeah, he really screws her. up,
3: and, and it's a film noir thing, by the yeah, way. you know yeah. for sure he's
2: totally flawed and makes mistakes. And for the first sort of forty minutes, it's all his fault, and he's just scrambling to try and figure it out. So which it's...
3: makes for good action. I think a, a perfect action hero does not make for a good action movie.
2: Totally. Yeah, you have to have a little bit of grit in the oyster.
3: Oh wait, do you hear that? The it sounds like the. Theme music for the Die Hard Awards. Should we get the tuxes oh, on? To get them on. Mullet back on. Let me just adjust the mullet. Bit of hairspray. <laughs> just button it up. I know, we need to come up with theme music to make that a little more bearable. Uh,
2: let's do the awards. All right. So our first award is... These are the Die Hard themed Oscars. The action movie awards. Yeah. So our first is the John McClane Yippee-Ki-Yay Award for Best Quip.
3: I have it. What, what are the nominees? I, My, I, I'm so sorry.
2: I jumped on. I I'm a know, terrible right. scene. I'm, right. I'm a
3: terrible scene partner right. for this. Right. What are your nominees?
2: My no, it, it, there are on a ton. Um, there was one bit that sort of had slight shades of Commando, where um, Harris Yulin is is pretending that he's going to leave J T. Walsh, and he's like, "Oh, it's okay." And the, I'm not, you know, I I'd never harm you. And then he turns back and goes, "Oh, Michael,
3: I, I lied.
2: lied." Right. Which is hard to say and not to say. I'm going to kill you last, silly, You know, and do that whole oh thing. That that's whole, pretty
3: that, good. You're you do a good, you do a passable Schwartz. No, horrible. it's fine. Hey, Schbuddy, it's a it Schwartz cast? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be cut off. I'm sorry. Kill, kill the a, mic.
2: <laughs> yeah. This conversation is over. <laughs> The other one, I had two others, um, just a great bit of M.M. at Walsh, being M.M. at you Walsh. Do you have any beer? Where he's, yeah, exactly. He's like, he's, he's, he's <laughs> she says, aren't you on duty? And he says, I only drink when I'm on duty. I so love it. So good. Just like, man, you're awesome. And um, that uh, there was one other line that I like from our from our guy Keller, who was the Portly Railroad agent, who I wanted, if we get a second, take a moment to just give, give some love to. Maybe he's a scene stealer. He has a line where he says, nobody loves a fat man except his grosser. <laughs> and that's actually in the film noir. That's oh, one that's, of the few it's lines. It's a great line. It's a really endearing line. And then later when he's actually, cause the guy ends up being, well, I'll just talk about him now for a second cause while I'm on this, because, so this actor- Keller cast. Welcome uh, <laughs> to
3: Keller cast. Color cast with, <laughs> now listen, just
2: listen to this. This actor who plays the, the, the Portly Railroad agent, who ends up being quite brave and competent, and he's in a couple of scenes with Gene Hackman, one of the ultimate icons of cinema. He is named B.A. Smitty Smith. That is what he is credited as. That's B- my ex-birth name. That's what I was named when I was born. B.A. Smitty Smith who plays this cat Now, he only, had, he only had two credits on his IMDb. The other being a TV series called Danger Bay, in which he appeared in one episode. He passed away in 2013. So I want to give Smitty some love because I think it's a yeah. lovely performance and it's a great payoff to that bit because later Hackman says like, you know, it, it's not just your grocer that loves you when he is actually helping them out and, you know, and, and it's just one of those moments where like... Is anyone ever going to talk about Smitty on a podcast? It's also
3: human. It's a very human thing. And I genuinely
2: think he's like, he's great in this movie. And this is probably the biggest thing he's ever done. And he holds his own against Hackman. And shout out to Smitty. i mean,
3: I love that. Um, Now that that very nice moment is over, you missed the best quip in the entire movie. Hit me. Television cameras are something of an aphrodisiac for you. yeah. yeah, Which Hackman says to his boss, which I just think is like delivered in like... Hackman-esque yeah, perfect. Hackman. I know that television cameras are something of an effort. Aph- He's a slight little laugh yeah. and it's... I think that, that that... from. I literally paused the movie and wrote that down because okay. I just thought it was very, very strong. But I do like the, the fat man and his for first For Smitty. Movie. Do it yeah. for Smitty. He wins. Win Smitty, one for the Gipper. Smitty, we love you. Thank you for your work. Also... In the grand tradition of undercover officer on plane helping the heroes a la Executive Decision yeah. and yeah. a bunch of other films. The Sky Marshal, whose yeah. name escapes me, but is a great character actor as well. Right.
2: Our next... Sorry.
3: I keep interrupting you. The Hans... One of my New Year's resolutions was interrupt less. I'm <laughs> failing. The Hans Gruber Master Thief Award for stealing the
2: film. Now, this one is stacked. So, nominees... Um, I'd put Anne Archer, but technically she's one of the leads, so yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think we, that can we can give, it, can to give it to her. The rules of this should be, I think anybody except the lead. Okay. You know? um, Sicking, James B. Sicking as Nelson, Emmett Walsh as Detective Sergeant Benty, Harris Yulin as Leo Watts, and Susan Hogan as the charming yet ultimately treacherous Catherine Weller. She, um, she's the yeah, who's blonde, your pick? Uh, divorcee. Sicking, all day.
3: I'm gonna go with uh, the the divorcee the divorcee really yeah, I just think it's such a smart choice and it it left me kind of flummoxed and sort of like going back and forth throughout the film. I will say you know interestingly, I watched this film the other night and my wife watched a lot of it too, and I think that that is a real sort of like um point of pride for she's not a big action movie person but she really sat and kind of was like what's going on here like what is this movie and i think that that part with that divorcee character who kind of like who is she what's her deal there's a moment where she passes hackman getting on the train she looks at him and like Mm. i just think it's very smart casting she's very good she's unassuming and it's sort of—I don't know how old Peter Himes when, his, when he made this movie—but there's a little bit of thematic, sort of middle-aged stuff in this movie set against the backdrop of an action noir, and I, I think it's very strong. But I totally support your choice of Sicking. I think he's wonderful in the movie. Um, I, I would love to like a Sicking cast. No, I'd like to see more movies than he could do.
2: <laughs> yeah, check out check out Outland. Um, if okay. You're in, yeah, you know it's 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 awesome. Um, the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the movie. Well, who are the, the nominees? And, then, oh. and our nominees are Nigel Bennett as the cold-blooded hitman Jack Wootton. Oh, good. Kevin McNulty as the double-dealing prosecutor Dahlbeck. Dahlbeck is such a bastard name. And J.T. Walsh as embezzling lawyer and worst blind date ever, Michael Tarlo.
3: That, I... First of all, J- JT Walsh, wonderful. Rest in peace. Great
2: actor. Gone uh, too soon. We're probably
3: going to talk about him in some other films as well. Ab- I know The he's, Negotiator. He's totally,
2: totally. Um he could you just just digress on this for a second? Could you imagine in the world of movies if you went to a blind date and it was JT Walsh? I'd
3: be worried. Run.
2: Yeah, get out of there because all that's coming for you is evil and venality and corruption great and actor. like oh gosh, he's Do you have a favorite JT Walsh uh, performance cuz he's Amazing. I don't know. I
3: really have to think. I mean, I think he's incredible in A Few Good Men. Which yeah. has there's two people in A Few Good Men in this movie. The judge That's is, right. is the judge Jackman's Hackman's boss, boss whose name escapes me. Yep. And JT Walsh. I think yep. he's phenomenal and I think he gives off this man of JA Preston. JA Preston, wonderful. Yep. JT Walsh gives off a man of duty kind of vibe in every film he gives and it's heartbreaking in A Few Good Men. And it's actually heartbreaking. I give him credit. He the way he pre- approaches the scene and dying Uh, Is really, really, um, is really touching. Like I think he, he, he really, he really like cries like a baby. Like it's not a vain performance, no. Which is really impressive. Something that
2: JT Walsh would do quite often. He's usually cast as some kind of sleazy businessman or politician, heavy occasionally, or you know, just some kind of like powerful scumbag who's like morally corrupt, right? But sometimes um, he will let us into his soul a little bit, like in that in that scene, or a little bit in. A Few Good Men. There's also a movie, just speaking of the noir thing, to give people another uh, another recommendation, there's a wonderful film noir, neo-noir called Red Rock West with oh, uh, uh, Nicholas Nicolas Cage, Cage and Dennis Hopper. You know, that showed at the New Flint Beverly oil. over the
3: summer before it's we recorded this. It's impossible to find. It's but hard JT, to get. It's
2: one of my favorite JT Walsh moments of it acting where he's this scumbag uh he, he, you know he's trying to kill his wife in the classic noir tradition and he's in like a mexican standoff with dennis hopper who's trying to like you know uh sneak up on him and this is a bit where he loses his cool and he's like stop moving and it's just like <laughs> that's really it's, good it's just when he loses his shit it's great. So, oh, I love J.T. Walsh, man. So for me, he's the winner.
3: I don't think he can be the best dick though, because I don't think he's a dick. I think I feel bad for him.
2: Well, he's. I mean, he has stolen money from the mob, and he's put Ann Archer in a pretty bad situation although he's like like weirdly likable so
3: likable and yeah yeah i don't know i felt bad for him so my pick would be wooten or mm okay. at okay. walsh it's yeah. just kind of a dick you're any <laughs> yeah, yeah. beer
2: what <laughs> it's like first thing this in the morning we're
3: like literally escaping yeah. i love the it's alcoholic great. uh
2: cop yeah. character actor yeah. bit that that's, that guy does that's, well, it's one of the Walsh's for sure yeah definitely oh good uh
3: we have settled on two possible walshes for this they part share it uh best death
2: Michael Tarlow's hotel room murder. There's not a lot of them. Yeah. Um, there's Jack Woodton and Nelson being thrown off the train, and there's Catherine Weller's implied decapitation via tunnel.
3: I'm gonna go with Catherine Weller's implied decapitation via tunnel. Yeah, it feels like
2: getting getting cut in half. It's the most of, memorable oh. moment. It's it's a it's actually not particularly violent film, which mm-hmm. is, sometimes is is nice. Yeah. You know. Well, it's kind of cat and mouse. Kind of yeah. a thriller. It's psychological. It works really really well. Okay. Now, unfortunately, you've stepped on most of my Double Jeopardy um trivia. Oh, well, by then all means, um, let's do them. But I'll give Some you Some names of
3: random podcasts that uh, I've come <laughs> up
2: with. Because one of them was going to be who, which member of the Narrow Margin cast would go on to appear in the Die Hard in a Police Station action movie, The Negotiator. Oh, J.T. Which Walls. Which you just mentioned. And um, we'll do this one just for completion's sake. But um, nah actually, let's forget. Don't it. do it. I want it. All right. I want it. All right. Because then this will make you feel good because you already know the answer. In fact, you've already said it. Later in the 1990s, Gene Hackman starred in two iconic action movies directed by the legendary Tony Scott. Can you name them?
3: Uh, Oh, this is a tough one.
2: Crimson Tide. Yes. An enemy of the state. Yes. And the great Tony Scott also made not one, but two terrific action movies that revolved around trains. Taken at Pelham 123, remake, which I love, and Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Two films we'll be covering on our... Unstoppable
3: might have my favorite first 45 minutes of any movie ever made. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, Total masterpiece.
2: There is one last question that you uh, that you haven't mentioned. Let's see if you get this Ooh. one. Two members of the Narrow Margin cast also appear in the 1994 Jack Ryan action thriller Clear and Present Danger. Can you name them?
3: <sighs> well, Ann Archer. Clear and Present Danger. Oh my God, I just watched it. I watched it the day my son was born. <laughs> If you can believe wow. it, yeah, I, I, it was, it was, like, I was I'm busy, honey. Yeah, like, sorry, I'll talk to you later. Um, Harris Eulin. Yes. Yeah, Harris Yulin plays the slimy Department of Defense yeah, guy. Yeah, national security advisor. He's so James good Cutter. in Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. He's so good. He's kind of like the Gruber to Henry Cerny's uh, sort of foot soldier. Oh, I love that. The yeah. greatest hacking scene in mo- and one of the greatest hacking scenes in movie yeah. history.
2: So theft, 90s. Jack. So 90s.
3: Yeah, it's great. This
2: is my autographed "Get Out of Jail" card. Oh my God, he's so good. Uh, in journey it. cast <laughs> <laughs> one hundo. All right, so Kittredge you've never seen me very upset. <laughs> so... Enough's enough. Okay, I <laughs> just bad Henry Churney impressions cast. Oh my God. Um. All right, rating the movie. Uh, where does this fit in the action movie tradition? How does it compare to Die Hard? Any final thoughts? I don't think it's a
3: a particularly, like, quote-unquote, important action movie. But I think it is a testament to the time and the focus of people in the era making these kinds of movies that are beyond competent, beyond well-produced, and just, like... Absolutely so rewatchable and elevated. It's nothing, it's not disposable. It's, you know, we make the joke like, oh, you watch these movies hungover on a Sunday. This is like a Tuesday night movie when you're like, kind of have a little of your faculties left and like you want to go on an adventure. Like Peter Himes knows his Hollywood history. He's smart I think it's a, like a legit like I texted you I think it's kind of a banger I think it's kind of a great movie I think
2: I think Haims is like a much better filmmaker than he is like is his reputation would suggest because he sort of had a bit of a he had a tough Late nineteen nineties, mm. and who didn't, you know? And then Sound of Thunder kind of just put mm. the nail in the coffin. And I don't think that a lot of that was his fault, or was like the money fell through, and da 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 da. But he's made some really really great films, and I think this is just a classy adult thriller that, like you say, you could watch pretty much in any mood. It doesn't demand much of you, but it's it's intelligent at the same time. Right, right, and absolutely. It's full of twists and turns, and great actors
3: across the board. Absolutely. I think that about does it. Yep. But a few things before we go. Please, if you have not, subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of, of choosing. If you are if you really love us, you'll go and rate the show on Spotify or Apple. And if you really, really, really love us, you'll review the show on Apple Podcasts. Look, helps the show, helps it continue to be in the top film and TV, movie review, film history podcasts on various platforms. We're we're getting a very welcoming, nice response. And we want that to continue. So please, rate, review, subscribe. But most importantly, do you have a friend? <laughs> I don't. But do you have a friend <laughs> besides Phil? I used to. That loves diehard and action movies. Tell them about the show. I had a coworker tell me that her boyfriend loves this podcast because he was like, finally a Hard esque podcast. Now I'm sure there have been others, but nobody's doing it like we're doing it, baby. So please tell a friend. Tell somebody, if you have a question for us, you can reach out. I'm at Liam G. Billingham on Twitter.
2: Yeah, I'm just uh, at Philip Gawthorne uh, on Twitter. You can,
3: I'm, you can reach out there. You can add us at a comment, whatever you want. We also, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. You can also email us with your comments and questions or a voice memo at DieHardOAB at gmail.com. If it's a good question, if it's a good comment, if we have time to address it, we will talk about it on the show. Mailbag. Love it. So let us know what you think of the films that we're talking about. Tag us on any of these platforms. This will also be in the show
2: notes. Great. Phil. Yes. What's next on the show? Next is a movie called... So it's a movie, good. Yeah, it's a movie for a change. It's a movie called Toy Soldiers (gasps) from 1991, which was really the first Die Hard on a Blank movie outside of the, the Die Hard sequels like straight yeah, up, real straight, straight up, up Die Hard ripoff oh, homage homage to be discussed to, to be, be debated discussed. Well, so I, join us for that episode
3: I look forward to it I'm Liam Billingham I'm Philip Gothorn we will be back with some new FBI guys I guess Die Hard on a blank is a podcast hosted and written by Philip Gothorn Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar 23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank.